Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Pastor Aaron Nicholson. This is Pastor Jesse Randolph. And today we have a special guest, Pastor Ryan Day from Revolve Bible Church in San Juan Capistrano. Ryan, thank you for teaching and preaching at our church yesterday, and thank you for being on the podcast this morning. Hey, Aaron, it's my great pleasure. You guys have an incredible church, and it was a real joy to be with you. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for teaching yesterday. In the morning, you taught on serving God without conditions. And in the evening, you taught on repentance. And today, we just wanted to probe further into that uh, latter topic, the subject of repentance. So I'll just let Pastor Jesse uh, say a few words or just yeah. fire away right with the first question. I, I can't not say a few words to start. <laughs> I thought you so, might. <laughs> yeah, no, Ryan, um, you know, you you, uh, you blessed our body immensely yesterday. It was only, what, 12, 15 hours ago that you closed your sermon on repentance. And I've already heard many comments and wonderful comments of people who are greatly edified, benefited, blessed by both teachings. Um, the, the morning service on God's holiness and the sinfulness of sin through the lens of Isaiah 6. And then last night, those 12 points about repentance um, in it, that missing link in salvation and sanctification, which just benefited people immensely. So thank you. Oh, you, uh, you went above and beyond to get here, as we talked yeah. about last night, to preach the word and uh, really encouraged our body so that you'd be willing to sit in and and share further on the podcast is just a, a great joy for me personally. So thank you. Oh, thanks, brother. All right. Well, we'll, we'll tee it off with uh, one very simple question. What is repentance, biblically speaking? Yeah, repentance, the primary noun in the New Testament is uh, metanoia. It's used 22 times. The uh, verb form is used uh, 34 times, total 56 times in the New Testament. It Just by itself, the word just means to change your mind. But when you examine everything that the Scripture says about repentance, it involves more than just changing your mind. It involves uh, the will, it involves the emotions, it involves the intellect. So repentance is a complete change from following sin to following Christ. You have to let go of the sin. Specifically, it's changing, turning, turning from sin, and then there's the positive aspect, which is faith, putting your faith in Christ. Theologically speaking, it's conversion. Conversion theologically has two components, repentance and faith, and repentance and faith are inseparable. And the the English word repentance seems like a, a pretty simple word, uh, but biblically speaking, what are some common misconceptions that people have about biblical repentance? That's a great question. I think that um, probably one of the biggest misconceptions about the topic of repentance is that in the 1980s, there was a group of people that began to classify repentance as a work. As a result, they said that you, to be a Christian, you don't have to repent. All you have to do is make an intellectual agreement um, with what Jesus has done to save us. Their argument came from the Gospel of John because the noun and the verb for repentance in Greek are absent from the Gospel of John. Um, so they would say, no, look, through, because of John, um, all that you have to do is believe because John is the Gospel of belief. But the concept of repentance is in John. In John chapter 12, for example, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for not repenting, although he doesn't use the word repentance, he quotes from a passage of Isaiah where Isaiah was rebuking uh, the nation of Israel for their lack of repentance. So the concept of repentance is very much in the Gospel of John. 
But what makes repentance not a work is that two places in the New Testament we're told specifically that repentance is granted by God. And because repentance is granted by God, it therefore it's an act of sovereign grace. When we repent, um, when we come to Christ, and subsequently, be, when we come to Christ, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and as a result, we are empowered to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. We're empowered to do so as believers. But before we're believers, that repentance is granted. For example, in uh, Acts eleven eighteen, we read, when they heard this, they were quieted down and glorify God, saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Uh, Paul makes a point in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. So in those two passages, it's very clear that repentance is granted. And maybe just as a, as a side note, as it relates to pastoral ministry, this is absolutely key for pastors to understand. Because pastors that don't understand that repentance is granted, they will be harsh to their people because they will try to force people to change by the force of their personality or their words. That's why Paul said to to Timothy that we must not be quarrelsome, kind, patient when wronged, gentle when correcting, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. So what gives us confidence as pastors or what helps us to be patient with people when they're not changing is remembering that we do not have the power to cause them to repent. So when we understand that God alone uh, grants people repentance, it really helps us to be more gentle to people when they're struggling with their sin. When we forget that, we might have a tendency to try to bulldoze people or force them to change, which we do not have the power to do. So God grants repentance— but at the same time, the New Testament calls believers to repent. How do you harmonize those two concepts? Well, because this is your podcast, I'm going to let Pastor Jesse answer that. Yeah. No, but you're right. Um, not only is repentance granted, but repentance is commanded. Yeah. We're told to repent and believe. It's a command. And the answer is, how do we reconcile those is the doctrine of compatibilism. That might make for a really good podcast episode because... Or a research paper for Aaron. Or a research paper for Aaron. <laughs> Someone's yeah. got to take it. <laughs> no, essentially the, the, the doctrine of compatibilism just teaches that God's sovereignty is compatible with man's choice. Here's a quote from B.B. Warfield. He says, compatibilism is the belief that God's predetermination and meticulous providence is compatible with voluntary choice. In light of scripture, human choices are believed to be exercised voluntarily, but the desires and circumstances that bring about these choices occur through divine determination. And uh, some examples of that would be Acts 2.23, where Peter says in his first sermon, this man, speaking of Christ, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So it was God the Father who delivered over his son. It was his predetermined plan, but... Uh, in the providence of God, it was the people that nailed, the Jews specifically, that nailed Jesus to the cross. That's who he's speaking to in that sermon. So, Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I think part of maybe this might be a thought that's helpful. The, the thing is, is that when we're dealing with the Lord, the transcendent, that there is the reality that mystery exists. I think oftentimes that 
that thought or that saying is used as an excuse to not understand God or to not have a robust theology or to study scripture as we ought to as Christians. Oftentimes people will just use that as an excuse to say, well, you know, God's a mystery. Well, that's, that's, a, that's true, but we need to do our due diligence. But while we're doing our due diligence, there are things about the transcendent, i.e. God, that bring us to our knees and leave us in awe. His ways are not our ways. He is far beyond us. He has chosen to reveal himself to us, but we are not capable of fully comprehending the divine. We will explore him for an eternity. So I say all that just to say that as a believer, there is this sense of mystery and awe that exists, and that's part of our worship. That's not a bad thing. Um, and the doctrine of compatibilism is kind of one of those things that leaves me often with that sense of mystery and awe, and really, really smart theologians have wrestled with this for hundreds and hundreds of years. But at so, the same time, and that's a really good point you're bringing out, we have these commands in the interim that speak right into that 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 sense of mystery and awe. So we're called to pray without ceasing. How prayer works in light of the God working out his sovereign will and decree, we don't actually ultimately know, but we know that Amen. in these earthbound bodies here in time and space, we're called to pray. Mm-hmm. So we do, and we trust that he's going to answer those prayers however he sees fit. Evangelism, same thing, right? How God regenerates and draws people to himself and, and how it all lines up with his eternal decree, who knows ultimately. But what are we called to do? Go share the gospel, go make disciples. Amen. I think it's kind of in line with this as well, right? How repentance and God's divine decree and sovereignty all work hand in glove, only he knows, but we're called to go in light of the fact that repentance is God-given, still call on sinners to repent. I think that's one of the missing components in evangelism today. We are giving an incomplete gospel presentation when we talk about the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and we just leave them there. We have to tell people how they ought to respond. And the point or the way that Scripture tells us where to respond is through repentance. It's not through altar calls. It's not through asking Jesus into our hearts. Uh, It's not accepting Jesus or inviting Jesus. Uh, the, The answer to how we receive the objective realities of what Christ has done, the subjective way that we receive that is through repentance. Mm. And that is the, the command. And so when we present the gospel and we're not calling people to repent, we're not helping them. Yeah. And subsequently, the same thing is true when we're ministering to our brothers and sisters who are saved. Repentance is something that scripture also calls us as Christians to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we need to be calling our brothers and sisters to repentance. And that's a good thing. It's not a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Last night, you, you just addressed them right now, but you addressed various misconceptions about repentance and, and how that ties into evangelism and sharing the gospel, like altar calls and those sorts of things. How would you address the person that says, as you're calling on them to repent, maybe it's a believer, We're because there is such thing as believers repenting. Um, like you said last night, all of the Christian life is one of repentance. How would you address the person that says, I'm going to go ahead and sin for now and enjoy the sin. Uh, sin tastes good, smells good, feels good, whatever they're going to say. And I, I can repent later. How would you address the person that doesn't see that immediate need to repent? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I would just caution and warn that person that biblical repentance is very painful. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that the Corinthians had a sorrow that led to repentance, and the word he uses for sorrow is actually used in the Gospel of John to is translated into English as pain. When you go through David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, 
David is lamenting. He, he's, he's verbally processing and praying the pain that he's going through in the midst of his repentance. I think we forget sometimes that biblical repentance, or we could say true repentance, is very painful. It's from the heart. It's Godward. And we come to this point where we've set our heart and our affections on sin. And as we're turning from that, we've realized our offense to God. And because we love God, it's, it, it's very painful. So when people have this mentality of just, well, I'll do this then and I'll repent later. Well, that immediately says to me, you don't understand repentance. Because there is nothing unpainful about repentance. Although repentance is good because of what it results in our life, the process of repentance, biblically speaking, is a painful, emotive process. Mm. And let me ask more about that. What are the signs of true repentance? Uh, What does it look like, either in yourself or in seeing it in someone else? Yeah, yeah, the, the verb metanoio and metanoia, the noun, it it means to change your mind. So first of all, repentance is a change of mind, as we said. So there's an agreement with God. What God's word says is right. So I'm agreeing with what God says about my sin. But secondly, as we go through scripture, scripture tells us that not only is it an intellectual agreement, it also involves the emotion. So there's this, I agree intellectually, but because I love God and I know God, there's an emotive component that also happens as well. So it's, it's intellectual, it's emotive, and it also involves actions. Scripture tells us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So there's an action component to repentance, and true repentance involves a change of action and an actual change in the way that we're living. So oftentimes as a pastor, people will say to me, well, I've repented, and someone has asked me before, how do you know that someone's repented? Well, the answer is, I don't know. Um, in that moment when someone tells me they've repented, because there needs to be time where they demonstrate fruit in keeping with repentance. And the same is true in my own life, because am I, am I truly repentant when I'm feeling contrition over my sin? Well, sometimes mentally I think I am, but if I'm like a dog to vomit and I just return right back to it, well, I can look and say, you know what, I've not repented. I've, I've genuinely felt bad, convicted for my sin, and I agree with the law of God, but I've not yet repented from that sin because I'm not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance in that particular area. And, and maybe just to say it now, I don't know if, if we were going to talk about this, but Revelation chapter 2, uh, when Jesus says to the church in Ephesus through uh, the Apostle John, he tells them to repent, to return to the love that they had at first. And that would be an example of Jesus talking to believers and telling believers to repent. And the, the seven letters to the churches in Revelation would be a great example of a place where Christ expects the church to practice ongoing repentance. Yeah, would you mind building on that just a little bit more? So splice out for us the distinction between what I guess what I've called capital R repentance, repentance in the ultimate sense of the unbeliever, First Thessalonians 1, nine, turning from idols to serve a living and true God versus believers repenting. What, what's the distinction there? How would you distinguish what the scriptures teach about the unbeliever's ultimate call to repent, the call on the unbeliever to repent versus the believer daily repenting. Yeah, that's, I like how you said that big R and and little R. I think that's a good way to think about it. Initially, repentance, when we're unbelievers, it's salvific in nature. It's our conversion. But when we repent as believers, it's not our conversion. It's our uh, ongoing walk in relationship with God. 
so as it relates to a Christian and our Christians need to ongoing repent, we're not repenting to be saved. We are saved, but we're repenting because we're walking with God and we're loving God. When the Lord saves us, although yes, we're justified, we are declared not guilty by God, we are not perfect. We're not yet glorified. You see Paul lamenting about the reality of his sinfulness in Romans 7. You see in Philippians, Paul talking about the reality that he's not yet arrived. And so he presses on toward the the goal. Um, So there's the reality of the Christian life that we, as it's been said well by, uh, I can't think of the reformer, but uh, we are simultaneously just and yet sinful. Mm -hmm. I think that Mm -hmm. was Luther maybe who said that. That's the reality of the Christian life. We know we're justified, but yet sin remains until glory. And so the process of sanctification, the way that we change as believers is repentance. You know, Pastor Jesse over here, he's an excellent biblical counselor. And as we as pastors help people change, what we're really doing in the counseling room is we're lovingly and graciously and patiently walking them through the process of repentance. That's how the Bible says we as Christians change. So if we want to bury one another's burdens, if we want to help our brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to call them to repentance. Oftentimes, because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we won't do that. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll want to console them in their sin. But when we're doing that, we're not actually helping them. We're not actually helping people have the the freedom from that bondage. Because ultimately, as believers, we know that Scripture tells us that our problems are the result of the sin. We have three enemies, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. But oftentimes, you know, the world is a real enemy and the devil is a real enemy, but our flesh is a real enemy. And I think, I may be going off script a little bit, but in in this moment and hour in history, the world that we live in is completely antithetical to Scripture. It's always been that way, but it seems like in our in our culture and in this moment, um, the world is just ramping up like Isaiah 5. Uh, they're calling good evil and evil good. Um, so that's a battle we need to fight, but we need to not lose sight of that reality that as believers, we also need to still continue to deal with the sin in our life for our own joy, our own happiness, and for the glory of God. Yeah, amen. I love that. When you say the most loving thing we can do for both the unbeliever and the believer is not to comfort them in their sin, not to tell them they're okay, but to preach the word and call them to repent, turn from their sin and follow God. Mm. So thank you for that that mm. strong exhortation. And, and thank you again for, for preaching. Mm. Hey, it was my great, great pleasure. So awesome. Well, thank you listeners for listening to the Sound Words podcast. You can check this episode out on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. And we encourage you to like and share these episodes so that others can find biblical content. Thank you for listening. Pastor Jesse, do you have any other comments or things to say? No, I'll keep it short and tight. The final word goes to God and his word. 2 Timothy 1, 13, which says, Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening.